Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. to start with a poem by Amanda Gorman. She dedicated to this to Al Gore and the Climate Reality Project and wrote it for a training that they were doing. It's, <clears throat> it's called Our Purpose in Poetry or Earthrise. On Christmas Eve, 1968, astronaut Bill Anders snapped a photo of the Earth as Apollo 8 orbited the moon. Those three guys were surprised to see from their eyes our planet looked like an Earthrise. A blue orb hovering over the moon's gray horizon with deep oceans and silver skies. It was our world's first glance at itself, our first chance to see a shared reality, a declared stance and a commonality, a glimpse into our planet's mirror as threats drew nearer, our own urgency became clearer as we realized that we hold nothing dearer than this floating body we all call home. We've known that we're caught in the throes of climactic changes. Some say we'll just go away, while some simply pray to survive another day. For it is the obscure, the oppressed, the poor, who, when the disaster is declared done, still suffer more than anyone. Climate change is the single greatest challenge of our time. Of this, you're certainly aware. It's saddening, but I cannot spare you from knowing an inconvenient fact because it's setting the facts straight that gets us to act and not to wait. So I tell you this not to scare you, but to prepare you, to dare you, to dream a different reality where despite disparities, we all care to protect this world, this riddled blue marble, this tr little true marvel, to muster the verve and the nerve to see how we can serve our planet. You don't need to be a politician to make it your mis mission to conserve, to protect, to preserve that one and only home that is ours, to use your unique power to give next generations the planet they deserve. We are demonstrating, creating, advocating. We heed this inconvenient truth because we need to be anything but lenient with the future of our youth. And while this is a training, it is sustaining the future of our planet. There is no rehearsal. The time is now, now, now. Because the reversal of harm and the protection of a future so universal should be anything but controversial. So earth, pale blue dot, we will fail you not. 
Just as we chose to go to the moon, we know it's never too soon to choose hope. We choose to do more than cope with climate change. We choose to end it. We refuse to lose. Together we do this and more, not because it's very easy or nice, but because it's necessary. Because with every dawn, we carry the weight of the fate of this celestial body orbiting a star. And as heavy as that weight sounded, it doesn't hold us down, but it keeps us grounded, steady, ready. Because an environmental movement of this size is simply another form of earth rise. To see it, close your eyes. Visualize that all of the leaders in this room and outside of these walls are in the halls. All of us change makers are in a spacecraft floating like a silver raft in space. And we see the face of our planet anew. We relish the view. We witness its round green and brilliant blue, which inspires us to ask deeply, wholly, what can we do? Open your eyes. Know that the future of this wise planet lies right in sight right in all of us. Trust this earth uprising. All of us bring light to exciting solutions never tried before, for it is our hope that implores us at our uncompromising core to keep rising up for an earth more than worth fighting for. often ask myself, what is it we're doing here as a congregation? I mean, we go to the meetings, we put in our volunteer hours, we pay our pledge, we come to the auction, just by the way, for those of you who came to the auction, a total of $26,000 was raised last night. And eight, over $8,000 raised for our Bid a Need project, the more campaign that helps immigrants. But what are we really doing here? I mean, you could go to lots of different groups that have a gala or an auction. You could go to a book group at the library. You could learn about climate justice, as many of us do from the Sierra Club or Minnesota 3, MN350 or Interfaith Power and Light. There are lots of ways to learn the things that we learn here. You can go out to dinner with your friends. You can get involved in a political group and make your voice heard. Lots of ways that we do lots of different things. What makes us unique as a congregational community? Why do we do this here on Sunday morning and throughout the week and the months and the years and years and years many of us have been here? I think there are two important things that I want to relate this morning that we do as a congregation. We give each other hope and we find a place to grieve together. We give each other hope, and out of hope comes that resistance. We assist 
and resist. And we also are able to tell our stories to each other. And I can bring my grief here, and when you're not grieving, you lift me up. And when you're grieving, I'll help lift you up. Someone I know says, sometimes you're the ocean, and sometimes you're held up by the ocean. That's what we do here together. I think for many of us, our grief about climate change, this existential threat, is big. It's looming. It's large. It's weighty. We bear the weight of the fate of this precious planet. And we dare not, dare not bear it alone. What we do here is we come and inspire each other. Someone knows something that I don't know and tells me how they're working, and boy, I want to listen to them and hang on to their hope. Someone else is, is feeling despair, and I want to connect those. I want to connect despair and hope, grief and relief, because it takes both of those we have both of those as humanists, as human beings. Let us not come with our rosy, it's all going to be fine. It's okay to come with your climate and your crime grief. It's okay to come with all the grief of all the things that are happening. Because here we can share that and say it aloud and then say what's next. We dare not be stuck in that grief. Before she died of breast cancer in 1964, Rachel Carson said this, and, and she, in 64, she was using the male pronoun I'll ask you to adapt as you do. Man's attitude toward nature today is critically important simply because we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and destroy nature. But humans are a part of nature. I'm changing pronouns now. And our war against nature is inevitably a war against ourselves. We are challenged as humankind has never been challenged before to prove our maturity and our mastery, not of nature, but of ourselves. Isn't that lovely? Our maturity and our mastery, not of nature, but of ourselves. So a few things that we do here in our climate justice team really give me hope. And boy, I love being around people who know more than I do and people who pool their, their information. This month, I learned about neonicotinoids, which is actually a fun word to say. It's a horrible thing, but it's a fun word to say. Neonicotinoids, known as neonics. Neonics are a class of synthetic neurotoxic insecticides that are used on agricultural crops, lawns, gardens, golf courses, and in flea and tick pet treatments. They were developed in the 1990s, and they're now the single most popular insecticide class in the United States. And they are especially toxic to bees, butterflies, and other pollinators. Today we're talking about 
bees and butterflies and other pollinators. That's our theme for Earth Day. And so I'm thinking, well, now there's this new thing I need to learn about. Oy, there's always a new thing I need to learn about. Ugh. Now I can't just go to the garden center. Now I have to look on the label and everything. But that's an opportunity for maturity and mastery, not of nature, but of myself. What? Yes, it is inconvenient. Convenience is what got us here in many ways. And so it's impossible to live on this planet without leaving a footprint and doing some damage. We don't have to be pure and perfect, thank God. Um, <laughs> we just have to do our best and make progress. We're working for progress, not perfection. So now I got neonics in my head. And guess what? You can get some neonic free seeds today down in the lower assembly hall. We've got an intention tree. You can write your intentions for climate justice, and you can pick up a packet of neonic-free seeds. And then you can say that several times, because it is fun to say. Some things that I'm asking myself are, how green is my portfolio? My little, you know, we're thousandaires, little portfolio. How green is my portfolio? What can I do uh, to, to encourage the companies in which I have investments? Few. How can I join with other stockholders to green up the portfolio? What, what influence do I have with any foundations that I may know of or be a part of to be more green? How well does my place of work or your place of work address sustainability? What are the, the things that we can do banding together with each other? It's not what I do alone. Yes, we recycle. Yes, we compost. It's not our individual things. It's how we band together. And we're already doing that in lots of ways. And what the climate justice team does is tell me, here are ways we can band together. Do you know about No Mow May? We're doing No Mow May. If the grass ever grows, surely it will. We're not going to mow in the month of May, because that's good for pollinators. And we're going to leave the stalks of last year's garden in place as long as we can possibly stand it. Because the pollinators and other fauna use those old stalks for maturation. There are things we do together. There are things that are related to all kinds of justice that also intersect with climate justice. One of my jobs is to see how all of our intersecting efforts for justice work together. This week, hallelujah, hallelujah, this week, the Minnesota Senate passed the conversion therapy ban, the trans refuge bill, and the Reproductive Freedom Defense Act. You helped do that because you got out the vote, you sent postcards, you knocked on doors, you showed up at the Capitol. It was thrilling to have that happen. How does that intersect with climate justice? Bodily autonomy is an action 
for climate justice, being able to choose what we eat, who we love, how we live in the world, what kind of electricity we want to use or not use. When someone says you can't do this with your body, they are sure enough going to be the same people who say you have to drive this kind of car. It's all interrelated, and we do that together. Not one of us changed those bills and got it done. We worked on it together, and there is so much power and hope in that. I can't say enough gratitude for our climate justice team who keeps justice at the forefront. It's not just talking about climate change. We talk about the ways that it affects all of us. And today, we're about to have a pageant. I'm so excited about this pageant. So let me tell you a few things. I want to offer some gratitude. The climate justice team with special thanks to our puppet makers, Rebecca and Scott Kramer, Keith Heiberg, Cindy Anderson, Kathy Steinhauer, Steve Lick, and Catherine Jordan. They are not in the room right now to hear these thanks, so thank them when you see them. The religious education, children and parents, and many volunteer performers for inhabiting the birds, the bees, the butterflies, and the flowers. Our narrators, Aurelia Weiler and Misa, Misha Vasic. Mike Vosic for his brilliant accompaniment, and Catherine Jordan for having the dream, the dream, and Sandy Spieler and the Theater of the Everyday Miracle for bringing our pollinator pageant to life. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism, and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.